Today on The Art Dealer Show, we will hear gallery owner Jim Hartley say, You know, if I talked to you about a piece of art, it wasn't going to go to your house. You were talking about sharing it with the wife, what the kids are going to think. You know, that was, I love that. And I still love that. Hello and welcome to The Art Dealer Show, the one podcast for and about people like you and me who sell art. My name is Danny Stern. And today on the show, we have art dealer, gallery owner of San Francisco Art Exchange in San Francisco, California, and also my good friend, Jim Hartley. Now, Jim and I, we we had quite a conversation, and uh, it's a two-parter for sure. And in this first part of our conversation, we're going to cover a lot of territory, starting with how he found his way into the business. Now, I don't want to give away the whole show, but I'll just give you a little tease here. Try starting as an electrical engineer, beginning your career in the space program, eventually finding yourself at some point in the 1970s in Iran, right in the midst of their coup, literally ducking gunfire, and then finding his way to becoming an art dealer like you and me. I know. Go try to beat that art dealer origin story. Now, we covered a lot of other topics, but I have a feeling you're probably still chewing on the whole Iran space program thing. So I'll let you keep on mulling that over for a little bit. And then the meanwhile, why don't you and I go on over to the old art dealer bar, grab ourselves a little pre-interview libation, and uh, I'll use it as an excuse to bend your ear a little bit about some stuff I was thinking about this week. Okay, are we all settled in? Are we comfortable? Do we have ourselves something good from the bar that will hold us over at at least for as long as it takes me to share my little story with you? Great. So here's the thing. I've known Jim as long as I have been in the art business. But, you know, during the week, I was listening to our uh, conversation that we had, the recording of it, listened to it at least a few times, and it brought me back to my first days in this business. Now, coming into it, I I knew about art, had an art education, and uh, I had done a lot of sales in my life, but art dealer, I mean, it it felt lofty. And I started remembering while I was uh, listening to those recordings, uh, the very first day that I was allowed to, let's just say, be a real art dealer, meaning it wasn't training anymore, which really only lasted a couple of days, like in most galleries. And I, I was cut loose to be able to talk to people walking in the front door, pretend like I knew what I was talking about. And I didn't. I didn't know anything. I mean, quite frankly, I was just frantically treading water. And I was mostly concerned that the people who had given me the job would catch on to the fact that I didn't know what the hell I was doing at all. But I have the spirit. And I was excited about what I was doing and uh, hoped that that would carry me through. Now, that first night, a young man walked into the gallery. Now, I wouldn't have said that at the time because he was, quite frankly, around my age at that moment. And he was uh, he was wearing a, an ill-fitting suit. I mean, not horribly, but the kind you know you get when you're young and you're just starting your first job and, you know, you're, you're kind of buying off the rack. And uh, that's exactly where he was. He had just moved to San Francisco. 
and he just got his probably first grown-up career job uh, and he was just walking around town probably didn't know many people in town yet and he stumbled into the gallery and while in the gallery he discovered one particular print that was on the wall it was a print of a painting that Ronnie Wood did of his friend Eric Clapton and as it turned out this guy and his name was Steve I'll never forget his name Steve was a really big Eric Clapton fan. And so uh, he stared at the piece a little bit longer than the other ones. Now, they had already trained me that that was something that you look for. You wanted to focus them, and this was a focusing moment. And then they told me the thing you had to do was you had to find a way to get them into the viewing room as fast and as smoothly as possible. But I remember while walking to the viewing room, it occurred to me I didn't know what I was going to say. I only knew the motions that we were supposed to go through once we got into the viewing room. I knew very little about the artist, only the basics, hardly really quite knew who he was. I didn't know much about Eric Clapton, I didn't know much about how the art got made or why it was all that particularly significant. Kind of guessed that he was probably a friend of Ronnie Wood, but I couldn't say that for sure. I realized I effectively had nothing. But I knew for the next whatever period of time, whatever period of time I can keep him in that viewing room, uh, I was going to have to vamp. And uh, I sat him down like they told me to do and put the piece up on the rail. I then dimmed the room lights. And something started to happen. And it felt, I got to say, rather odd. It was something they didn't prepare me for. That bringing somebody into a viewing room, sitting them down, having them stare at a piece of artwork. It's intimate. It's extremely personal. I mean, it's kind of a weird thing to begin with. You're bringing someone into a dark room to hang out with a stranger. And of course, a piece of artwork, I mean, that's what it's about. But it's just the two of you in there. And he was entranced by the piece. When the room lights went down and it was just the lights on the piece, the piece started to come alive. And then, then I did the other thing that they trained me to do. I, I dimmed the lights on the piece, slowly. I realized only in that moment that it was an oddly seductive move, which was a kind of odd thing to do with a, another young man in a room who I'd never met before. But, you know, I was brave. I went along with it. And of course, I realized before it became too creepy, I should be saying something. And, and I didn't up until that point. It was just a little bit weird. I mean... You know, I just sat a guy down and didn't say anything in dim lights. But yet, despite how weird it was and awkward, he was getting into it. He fell in love a little bit. Not entirely, but you could feel it. He was starting to get connected with that piece, which I had no understanding of that being something that could actually happen. I didn't understand what the difference was between out there and in here. It was like magic in front of my eyes. And then I just try to think of things to say. I, I remember at one point pointing out there was no particular reason for it, but I said, look at the way he, as a draftsman of incredible skill, articulated the details of the hands of what is clearly the hands of a, a musician. I don't really know what that means. I don't still know what that means. And, and then I went on to say, and this is actually a pretty good line. I said, he did it in a way that only one very gifted musician could probably understand another. 
and Steve leaned in. He leaned in deep to the piece. It was like he was going to fall into it. And as I talked, I can hear little sounds of understanding, hmm, agreement, things that were completely involuntary. He was becoming more and more entranced into the piece. I realized that there was a give and take going on, that even though I was really talking about nothing that I understood, that I was just talking and just causing focus, drawing him towards the piece, that that piece was taking on life for him. It was becoming animated. It was becoming a character. It was almost taking on a personality. And I realized after a moment that I was not just riffing, I wasn't just treading the water wildly to keep afloat, that I was responding to him. That I would feel things coming off of him. I'd hear those tones. I would hear the, the moments where he would even almost forget to breathe that I was feeding off of that. And it was a back and a forth and a back and a forth. And I know, it, it, if you don't know what this is, it, it sounds odd, but it was very real. And eventually, um, we got to talking about the collecting of the piece, talking about the price. It was $1,250, by the way. Never forget that price. The frame was $400, which made it very expensive for him. And he even considered uh, maybe framing it later. He uh, then agreed with me that he should take some time and give it some thought so he can figure out uh, if it's something he wanted to do. Eventually, my uh, director, Bob, Bob Zacco, uh, Bob had stepped out for a cigarette and he had come back in and he said, Danny, uh, come here. Honestly, I, I thought I was in trouble. I mean, I really was such on pins and needles at that moment. I thought he had already decided that I should be let go. Uh, but I walked up to him and he said, take a look over there. And he kind of glanced down to the other side of the block. And I looked down the block and I can see Steve sitting on a ledge in the dark. And he had a calculator out, which I think was from his job. And he was doing some math. He was looking at his pay stub, I was a recall. He was clearly trying to figure out how he could budget this. And Steve bought the piece. There's nothing else exciting to tell about this. And I even heard from Steve a couple times afterwards. And hopefully Steve still is enjoying that piece and tells some nice stories about it. And it still means something important to him. Here's the thing. I like to be able to say that in that first sale, I learned one of the biggest lessons that can be learned about the thing that we do in selling art. But I can't. I didn't know enough back then. I wasn't sophisticated enough for it. I knew the lesson was there, but I really could not have parsed it out at the time. And to be even more honest, it probably took me another 10 years to have a decent grasp on what that lesson really was. And even to this day, right now, talking to you right here in this moment, I'm still working it out. I'm still learning things from it, still figuring out things at higher levels. There was a lot to what happened in that viewing room. There's a lot to what happened in the thousands of other viewing room encounters that I've had in my career. And the lesson is, we are integral to the process. Now, I'm not going to leave it just at that. There's a lot to it, to why we were integral to the process. Let's go over what had taken place. Now, he was already a Clapton fan. I, I didn't create that. And Ronnie Wood, Ronnie Wood is already a gifted artist. 
I didn't make him like the piece that that was already going to take place. But what I can tell you after a lot of experience in this is that if I let that be, if he was left to his own, he would have gone through a little bit of an arc of experience. His first reaction would have been excitement. That's Eric Clapton. Love that guy. What a beautiful painting of him. The next thought he would have had would be, well, you know, I'm a big Eric Clapton fan. So every time I see that, I get excited. And there's a lot of images of Eric Clapton in the world. So that doesn't make this thing that important. And he would have moved on. Nothing would have happened. Now, the next part, I'm just as guilty about as anybody. I think a lot of us would think, well, what has taken place is us as art dealers. We bring value to that. And that is correct. I, I teach this all the time when I go and do trainings and galleries out there and in the market for galleries that sell the artists who I represent. I tell them stories and I tell them about market value, and I tell them about history, all these things that they can share with a collector that can build up the importance of the piece that they're looking at. And there's a good reason for it. And it's very important, but it lacks an understanding of something that's underneath every presentation. Now, remember, in that situation, I had none of those tools. I didn't know about a market value. I, I didn't know about the history of the artist. I didn't know what, you know, the collector's perception is. I didn't know the importance. I didn't know why any of this was significant. I only knew some bare facts. I didn't understand that if in the world of art, $1,250 is a lot or a little. I didn't know if the addition of a hundred and whatever it was is a lot of prints. Nothing. I had no context for any of it. All I was doing was the thing that is more important than any of the other things. I was creating a moment. I was creating a moment of history in that man's life, Steve's. I was creating an experience that had humanity to it, that it wasn't just mechanical. It wasn't just about going into a store and seeing a thing. I was giving a certain degree of life to the thing that he was looking at. Raising and lowering the lights, of course, kind of does a little bit of that. It has that effect. Talking it and romancing it, that has a little bit of the effect too. But all in all, what I was doing was acting as a conduit of another living person that he was having an experience with, with that painting. And that, between the two of us, gave it some life. It made it real. Even if he never bought that limited edition and he never came back to that gallery again, thinking back at it, it would no longer just be a print in a frame on a rail in a viewing room. It would be almost like a person that he once met. It would be a moment that he had shared with another thing. That made it hard for him to walk away from that developed a relationship that he did not want to end. That was the thing that kept him with that piece. That was the thing that sold that piece. As I said, I'm guilty of forgetting that a lot. And through this podcast, sometimes I'm even reminded of these things. And bit by bit, I hope with you, I continue to become a better art dealer. And hopefully Steve's out there still enjoying his Eric Clapton print.
Hey, guess where I'm going to be in January 21st, 2018, running through the 31st? I'm going to be in Las Vegas. Now, why do you care? And why does it make it a commercial? Because I'm going to be there for Art Expo Las Vegas. Now, I know you're thinking, isn't there already an art expo? Don't they put that on in New York in the spring? They do, and they will, and there'll be one in 2018 as well. But they have added another. The reason they did that is they're joining up with Market Week. Now, what's Market Week? Well, you're just going to have to look it up. But I'm going to tell you this. It's one of the biggest things that happens in the home decor business. And it's a huge thing for the folks at Redwood Media Group to be a part of it. If you want to be a part of this biggest thing, go check out the details at redwoodmg.com. Do you know what I'm going to be doing on my way to Art Expo Las Vegas in January while I'm sitting on that plane? Odds are I'll be reading the newest copy at that moment of Art World News. Why am I doing that? Because I'm in the art business. It's what I always do. I like to keep up to date about what's going on in the field. And what does that mean? It means a lot of things. Articles about the best of practices in our profession. Profiles about some of the better art dealers and gallery owners in our profession, as well as frame shop owners. I learn about new techniques and tactics, or just the biographies of people who I want to know more about, just like this show does. I've been doing that for many years. Matter of fact, I've been doing that for as long as Art World News has been around, about 21 years. I'll take it even further. I bet you, while I'm reading that magazine on my flight, there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands, of other art dealers on their way to Las Vegas doing exactly the same thing. If you're looking to get in the intention of the people in this business, or you're looking to learn more about our own business, pick up a copy, or an advertise in a copy, of Art World News. In uh, the music business, yeah, every now and then you'll hear people refer to a musician as being a musician's musician. You know, usually what that means is that there is something that that person does that is hugely different and much more advanced than the average musician, even the more average professional, that they do something that's often so subtle, though, that only another skilled professional at the highest level can discern what is taking place. If in the art business we have an art dealer's art dealer, it's my guest today, Jim Hartley. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, Jim was one of my first bosses. What I left out was a little bit of a story that I wanted to share with you before I got into introducing him, just so you knew where I came from with this. Uh, Jim, I, I had interviewed with. And it was at a time that I didn't quite know what I was going to be doing with my career. Art dealing kind of felt like something that would be right, but honestly, it also felt like something that felt a little bit flighty. Felt kind of like joining the circus as far as mature career decisions went. And uh, at that time, I had been interviewing with some more, let's call them straight jobs. And uh, at the moment that Jim offered me a job, called me up in my little apartment in San Francisco to tell me that he would like me to come on board. Uh, I had been offered one of those other more, what I thought as being mature jobs. And uh, I was I was conflicted. I mean, it sounded really fun to be an art dealer, but it also felt kind of irresponsible to take the gig. And I told that to Jim. I was pretty straight with him. 
I said, I'm not so sure about this. I even said, can you give me some time to think about it? I think I asked for a week to think about it. And and Jim just kind of went along with me. And, 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 and he just said, sure, yeah, okay. And then he, we just talked. He kept on asking me questions and telling me things about his life and hearing things about my life. And, and he kept me on the phone for, I think, two hours. I would later find out that that is one of Jim's techniques. I had seen it after that when I finally got went to work with him thousands of times. Jim would let a prospective collector tell him that they need to go home and think about the piece of artwork that they had been looking at. He'd say, great. And he would walk them to the door, walk outside the gallery with them, maybe talk a little bit about football or whatever sport that they had commonly an interest or their kids or colleges or what it's like to live in Florida or whatever. And then somehow, a half an hour, an hour later of kibitzing out in front of the gallery, he would just roll it around again. And I would just see him walking back into the gallery with the collectors under his arm. And more times than not, buying that piece of artwork. He was a genius at that, still is. Talking like he doesn't do it anymore, does it every day, still does. And he did it to me. Matter of fact, I'm not even so sure I said yes. I think I just said, I'll see you tomorrow morning, or he said, I'll see you tomorrow morning, and I said yes to that. I don't know. One way or another, we hung up the phone with an understanding that I would be in this gallery, and that's where I showed up the next day, and here I am about a quarter of a century later. There are times that I cursed Jim Hartley for selling me on being an art dealer, and there's times that I need to give him a big hug. This is my friend, Jim Hartley. If I had a mentor, it was my wife. If I had a mentor, it was my wife. She was was my inspiration. I would not be in the art business if it weren't for Luce. I wouldn't be in the art business if it weren't for the Iranian Revolution. you know, I had a mentor in, in sales and marketing. I had a mentor in business. And when we got into the art business, I was already 38 years old. I mean, already done multi-million dollar contracts and telecommunication systems, international marketing. I've been, I've been around, I guess you might say. Well-traveled, lived overseas, was managing director of an American corporation in the Middle East. So when I got in the art business, I, um, it, it's strange, you know, I didn't know a great deal about art, but I knew quite a bit about business. And I knew quite a bit about, about, uh, marketing, certainly knew a lot about people. Uh, I wasn't young, like a lot of folks that come as you know, well know, they, that come into the gallery business many times. They're very young. Mm-hmm. They don't have life's experience already behind them. They haven't been around the world yet, most of them. They haven't looked at some steely-eyed warrior in the eye, you know, negotiating a $2 million contract and, you know, blink. Uh, (laughs) So, person, I always have been pretty confident. Let's give this a little context. Let's talk about what you were doing beforehand and, and how you got there. I mean, usually I don't go this far back. But it's relevant in this particular case. Yeah, I studied electrical engineering in, in university. I went to University of Florida. And when I came out of school, I went to work in the Cape area, 
And it was at the time, you know, I'm 72 years old. So I'm talking about out of, when I came out of the school in 66, 67, we were talking about right in the middle of the space race. So I, being in a technical field, I ended up working down at the Cape with a the company there. And some of the stuff we worked on went to the moon. You know, the, we're in the LEM capsule that we're on Titan, you know, that we're part of all of that that was going on. Uh, so I can say stuff I touched ended up on the moon. Uh, at some point, after a couple of years, my my brother-in-law worked for the same company. To me, he said, Jim, boy, the streets are paved with gold. We got to go to California. Let's go. And I was single. Um, had my, whatever it was, 62 Chevy and my dog and loaded up our cars and stuff, banging off the top of them. And we we paraded out here, California. And I ended up getting into the same kind of business out here. And so, but I always had a big mouth, it seemed like, or at least a I seemed to like talk easily to people. and But eventually, they started putting me on a plane flying around to call on military customers. And and and, it, and at some point, that led me to go to Washington, D.C. I ran the Washington, D.C. office for the company. And then they, they asked me to go to Iran when things were booming in Iran. So in 1975, I ended up going to Iran. But this time, I'm not married yet. I go by myself. I start up an office there. After getting the thing going for nine or months or so, I came back to the States. And uh, eventually, they, after about a year's time, they asked me to go back. But by then, I'd gotten married. And, and I had three kids because I married a lady that had three children already. So I went back in 77. But, you know, about a year and a half in, the revolution started heating up. Things started blowing up in our backyard and screaming and down the streets, protests, worrying about the kids getting to school. So I get the family out. We go to hang out in England for a couple of months. I send them home. I go back to Iran because I didn't want to leave my employees stuck there without. I got into Tehran on the very last regularly scheduled commercial flight into Tehran that night, the revolution <laughs> worst that was that night <laughs> and so lucky you oh boy great timing but you could have just as easily said i'm not going back it's a dangerous place uh, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't, you guys figure it out i don't own that company it just wasn't who i am i mean i just i'm stupid that way i suppose but i i i feel responsible for things and so anyhow so so nine days in, I mean, I'm just there alone. I'm living in my office. I get a call one day from this colonel down the embassy, and he says, you want to get out of Tehran? I said, absolutely. And he said, come tomorrow morning, be here at the embassy, 7 o'clock. Don't bring anything that could be construed as a weapon, or you may be shot on sight, because the uh, Khomeini's people had taken the embassy back from the communists. And so they're all there with automatic weapons that— Interesting. We were being protected, kept alive by Khomeini's <laughs> guard. Really? And so I was there 24 hours overnight. Uh, we were be the embassy was being shot into all night long. We would uh, eventually the next day we got evacuated, got out of there. My wife had no idea that I had gone back to Iran. I didn't tell her. She thought I was still in England and oh, going geez. to Libya and Turkey and other places. I'd never told her. And But still, the company's business was in that part of the world. That's where the big growth was, and I was their top guy. Needless to say, when I got home with my young family, because by that time, one of my daughters was born there, Anna, and uh, my wife was 
uh, seven months pregnant when I got her out of there with my son-to-be, Jimmy. And the idea of taking them back to such a place just wasn't in the cards. I wouldn't consider it. And I was, But I was also very concerned, the idea that even if they stayed home and I went, they'd been through it. At some point, I thought, well, I know quite a bit about business. I know quite a bit about um, sales. I just started, I would watch my wife paint at night. And we'd sit up. I'd sit up, because she loved to paint at night. And I'd be watching her go out oh, two, three o'clock in the morning, maybe sometimes later. But I was mesmerized by the process of seeing paintings come together. I mean, I was hooked. And I would watch that and, and go to sleep. Barely go to work in the morning you know, with two or three hours sleep or something, because you had to go early. And uh, at some point, I started thinking, I just, I don't know, I, I, I stopped loving what I was doing. And so I started thinking, hmm, I really love this art thing. I really love watching it. And uh, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe somehow I can take what I know about people, business, and, and, and marketing sales, and I, maybe I can give it a shot. And so I ended up, the, you know, I was in like Flynn, the president of the company was my best man at my wedding. Um, but uh, I went to him one day and I told him, Jack, uh, I think I'm just, I'm going to give something to go, man. And, you know, he he was okay with that. And, you were really letting go of a lot to make that choice. Yeah. I mean, that's, but I, but you could that, have taken that straight to the end of your life and made a fantastic living. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, I, I'm sure I was, but you know, I, I was in love with my wife and I, I really at that point was in love with she, what she was doing. When we first got married, the first thing I did is I put the car outside. We turned the garage into an art studio for her to paint. Uh, just the car never got back in there. <laughs> and so, so that, I mean, so I, I, you know, what we did first is we, formed, we started a little art school, little hometown art school. We got it. We rented space. We put in, I don't know, eight, 10 easels. And I was her marketing guy and so business So this is before manager. you got into the gallery business. Oh yeah, at all. there's a first. My first foot into the art business was with my wife. We, well, you know, the thing was, Danny. I, I had we were <laughs> far from wealthy, but I could go two years without a paycheck. Yeah, I had stock in the company. I had some savings. You know, I, we, we weren't wealthy. We had we owned a house. I would hope the guy who they sent to Iran, who was living under literal fire, they threw a few bucks. No, it was it was a good salary. We, uh-huh. we, again, we weren't super wealthy, but we, you know, we, we were middle class folks owned a house, you know, in California, although they weren't as much as now. But you have this garage, you've got a row of easels set up. Well, no, the garage we that in the beginning we did that, but then we went out and rented the space. So okay. when I'm yeah, what I'm talking about, we then we got serious about being in the business and we formed a we formed a company. I mean, just the two of us, and she had a, a very nice space and a commercial building, dental office there, a bank there, you know, you had a, that sort of thing. And uh, so we started bringing in students. But how were you looking at it at the time? I mean, are you thinking, I'm just figuring this out? Yeah, you know, just something. This is just something I can do for right now. And I'm I'll... loving it. I'm just thinking, I'm loving this and my juices are flowing. You know, I, I've always been the kind of person who likes to do something that I haven't done or that hasn't been done. It uh-huh. just, that's where my butter gets melted. And uh, been that, I'm to this day, I'm that way. You've got a new toy. I've got 
four new toys right now in my business that are going on that are bigger than anything I've ever done. I mean, it's just, and I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> let's go do it. It's so fun. Uh, and we were doing, I, I suppose by anybody who would say you're, you're doing what, where, <laughs> we, I think we did pretty good, but, but it wasn't replacing what I made in industry. And at some point, you know, the bank account was starting to wind down. And I was, I was always trying to make a little gallery out of this place. We had a little room in her, in her studio where we put up. And so, so we were doing cool. She had quite a few students and all of that. But at some point, I just started thinking, eh, you know, maybe if I'm going to stay in art, I got to do it at a different level. So I started thinking about what else I could do. I wanted to sell art. I figured that that's, there's probably more money in that and it'll help us establish ourselves better so we can do a lot of the fun things we want to do. It's always, it's, the money has never, never, never been a goal for me, ever. To this day, it's still not a goal. It's never fired me up, it, it, but, but it's an enabler. Make getting the money enable me to chase all these things I wanted to chase. Did you have any image at this time of what a gallery would look like, what a career in that business looked like, or is it just a concept? I, you know, I just I had this this silly confidence that I could do it differently. That I didn't know what it was. Had you ever had you spent? But much I wanted time to find out what before? it was and do it differently. <laughs> that was kind of where I was coming from. I, you know. How much time have you ever spent in a gallery before this point, though? Oh God, I don't know. 15 minutes, maybe. <laughs> I can't imagine much, but. You know what the funny part of this is? If if I met you then with my experience now, and you said, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to do this business differently. And if your answer was that, I said, eh, kind of poke my head and went, you know, I, I would laugh at you or get angry actually knowing me. <laughs> Either way, I'll tell you, you, you need another plan because you don't know what the hell you're doing. But of course, now here it is in retrospect. You know, what, your gallery's been in business for how many years? 34. 34 yeah. years. <laughs> so, I, you know, so at some point I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe I need to figure out a way to do something different. And, and, and in those days, we still had newspapers with classified ads in them. And so I, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I kind of would look through the papers from time to time, and nothing ever looked very interesting. I didn't want to go back into technical at all. I just there was no no draw for me there. One day I see an ad. Well, let me ask you a quick question though before you go to that ad. If you had to say what side of the fence you fell on, are you moving away from something or are you moving towards something at this point? Well, I'm definitely moving towards something. That would be the, yeah, that would be the feeling. Uh, oh, the sure. Okay. Oh, sure. No, I just wanted to get deeper into what I was in, but I just knew I had to do it differently. So from the time we got married, we, we, we would sit around and we would always talk about having our own business from the beginning. Uh, and she is, oh my God, bless her. She's so supportive and has always been there for me. I mean, we're best friends. We've been married 41 years coming up, 41 years. It's like a superpower, isn't it? Oh, my God. When you is, have support yeah. from oh, someone you love, oh man, you can do man. like 10 times the amount of things you can oh, do if man. you don't. She's my best friend. She was my inspiration because of the art, you know, carrying me, making that change. So we're, let's see, where was I? I was saying, starting to say well, about- Well, you saw an ad. Hmm? You saw an yeah, ad Yeah, so I paper. see this ad, and in this ad, it says, Vice President of Marketing. Uh, and so, they, But it was an art ad. I don't remember what it said about art at the top, but it was art, art business, some kind of art business, vice president of marketing. So I thought, hmm, what's that? 
And so, and then I read the detail and it said they wanted to hire a, a VP of marketing to set up eight offices around the country to sell art to corporations. And it made some comment there about the tax laws and the time where you know, made sense to do that or whatever. And so I thought, well, I'm, cor I'm corporate. I got that background. I really want to be in art. Maybe I'll give, send him a resume or give him a call. So I sent in a resume to a guy. Well, I'll still remember his name, Walt Trulson. He was in Oakland, had a little penthouse place up there. He was a headhunter, basically, had his own company headhunting. And the gallery, that there was a, a major gallery in the city. The, the guy had some extra cash, and he wanted to do this. He saw he wanted to do something different, too. He wanted to sell art to corporations. So it's and, a brand-new business for him. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so I end up sending in a resume. Well, this guy calls me like, Phew. Uh, in, almost instantly, and he's, please come in and talk to me. Well, I had kind of an interesting resume, and when I went in there, it was so funny because I, I think in his mind, he thought I was going to walk in there, and he was going to talk to me for two minutes and kick me out because he told me after we talked for a while, he, he, he uh, I, I, I'm sorry to maybe sound like I'm bragging, but it's such a good memory that he, he looked after we talked for a while, he looked at me, he said, you know, Jim, when I got your resume, I thought, bullshit. <laughs> Nobody did this. <laughs> he said, that was the most amazing resume I ever read. And I called you in here just because I figured that you were going to melt in front of me and cave. And he said, everything you said, I believe. Yeah, so he recommended me to the gallery, and they, they brought me on board to do that. But he didn't have a business plan. The gallery owner didn't have a business plan yet. So, so was this an adjunct business to that gallery? Yeah. Well, so he was starting another company. He was going to call it Art Portfolio Limited. Anyhow, I, I, for a month, I sat there writing his business plan for him. Well, about 30 days in, and, and he's paying me, you know, I'm going to give you X a month, and you're going to get a percentage of what comes on down the road. So I'm, I'm wrapping up quite a bit of the business plan by then. I'm working every day. You got a little office, up, like a fishbowl office up there on Sutter Street, people looking in and looking out. And the, but it's in the gallery. It's an upstairs office to the gallery. You know, I'm kind of observing these people doing their thing, but they don't know who I am. And I say hi when I walk in and out, but I didn't get involved in the gallery. Well, he comes to me about 30 days in. And he says, Jim, I'm sorry. By the way, I got to interrupt. It's a gallery. You know that there are stories that have already started on the floor of that gallery. Oh, yeah. about Who's that guy? What that guy <laughs> upstairs is doing. Who's the it's suit? Like, it's like, I, I heard he's laundering money for the mob. That's oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe he's going to take over. Right, 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 right. He's actually from the government. <laughs> It's an audit. <laughs> like, all I'm saying is when you get your paycheck, go to the bank fast. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. I never heard those stories, but it might well have been. Just saying I know gallery people. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, so, but what he, he comes to me at that point and he says, he was, I mean, he was just, just so embarrassed, I think, and 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 saddened to talk to me because he, he had taken a huge loss in some project he was doing. He invested in some publishing deal. It fell apart. And he said, I'm not going to be able to do it. I don't have the money to do it now. And and he said, but I want to ask you to run my gallery. And I chuckled. I said, are you kidding me? 
I said, swim with the sharks. I said, I'm up here. I said, I just learned to spell Moreau last week. (laughs) (laughs) And you want me to go and run your gallery for you? Now you're going to lead a crew of art dealers? All these sharks down there have been Uh doing it for years. They're going to respect me and work for me. I mean, it's got to be a team if you're going to sell, you know, (laughs) or they're not going to. Oh, definitely. Yeah. They're not going to. He said, no, I know you can do it. I said, no, you can learn about the art. He said, that's not hard. But you know the stuff that they don't know. And that's where this is going on. And by that, he means what? I don't know. I suppose he just felt like, you know, I wouldn't blink in a $2 million deal. And I've been shot at and missed. And <laughs> I don't know, whatever. A new new corporate, you know, new new business, I suppose. he. And, and of course, I was good with people, always have been. And certainly mm-hmm. as an adult, I always have been. And I, I, I just chuckled and I said, you know. Uh, tell you what, after I, I told him no like four times, he kept insisting. I finally I said, okay, here, tell you what. Cause, I mean, I wasn't broke yet. I mean, we still could go probably six months or more without a paycheck. But I, I so I said to him, tell you what, you pay me one more month what you've paid me already. I don't go down there as your director. I go down there as another sales consultant on the floor. Salesman, another salesman. That's what they called her at the time. Another salesman on the on the floor. And let's talk about it 30 days from now. Let's see how it goes. Let's see how we both feel. And we'll 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 meet again. Well, of course, you don't tell stories like this unless there's a happy ending. And I, I went down there and I beat everybody in sales. <laughs> <laughs> you go home and learn how to spell Picasso even, you know, and Dali and <laughs> all those names. And Well, I know it wasn't your design, but that's kind of brilliant. I mean, not just that you proved to yourself you can do it, but now you're going to be their boss. At least you got a month of showing them that you could do this yeah, job. Well, that was my point. Yeah. You know, if I can hold my own there, then maybe I'll have respect and I'll okay. have an opportunity. That was the, my whole idea about it. And that's so what this I told is less him. about you than more about, I got to lead these people. So yeah, they need to see that I can fight in this war too. Well, all, all of that, you know, all mm-hmm. of that. And, and I needed to know, am I going to be... Well, can I do this? You know, I had never done that. So, were you winging it, or were you uh, copying a little bit the folks you were seeing on the floor? I didn't even know what. To, you know, I was there almost a week before I knew what a viewing room was. I kept seeing these people going in this back room, <laughs> and several days. I don't know. Some <laughs> days after I started, I asked them, "Can I use that room too?" Nobody told me. <laughs> uh, I don't. Know. So, so here I am in my uh, latter thirties and. Having been around the world and you know sold a lot of major deals, that my first sale was like a seven hundred and fifty dollar print. And when I was writing that invoice, my hand was shaking a little bit. You know, it was like you know, it was like I hadn't done this before. You know. <laughs> oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember doing that first invoice and thinking. I don't know what point or how I'm going to do it, but I have the, still the potential of screwing this up as I am writing this invoice. <laughs> and I didn't really know much about what I was selling. I just kind of went with the people who were looking at it. So we, we, I, we were doing well and all that. And we, he opened another gallery. We went down to Beach Street on the wharf. And, and, and Theron, my current partner, was working there. He was like an assistant to the owner. And he and I got along really well. I mean, if you meet Theron, you, you, who couldn't get along with him, you know? So, and so we were working there for a bit of time together. And and I don't know. I started feeling like I didn't want to. Stay. I won't go into it. I didn't feel like I wanted to stay there. So we started spinning our idea to 
start our own business. And we formed San Francisco Art Exchange. Well, let me put the brakes on this for just one moment before we move on from that early experience. One thing I realized, something must have happened in that experience that made you stick for those two years. Because I loved it. What were you loving about it at the time? I just I was enjoying the art. I was enjoying talking to people. I was enjoy- because it was personal. You know, I worked in the corporate world, and at the end of the day, having telecommunications, mom can talk to you know, sailor can call home. I mean, all that's at the end of the day, but you don't see it. You're dealing in in the tangibles of systems, and and so you know, if I talked to you about a piece of art, it was going to go to your house. Mm-hmm. You were talking about sharing it with the wife, what the kids are going to think. You know, that was, I love that. And I still love that. I mean, it's all about the interconnection. It was that there's an intimacy between people and between art. And art carries that intimacy. And you experience that every time you're with somebody who you can see become, begin to become smitten with the idea of possessing a, a, a work of art. You just you've seen you've seen it a thousand times, oh, and for me that was so special. I mean, it it had a soul, and it, you know, what I did before it it sort of did at the end, but you didn't get to witness it. Here, I got to mm-hmm. witness it. I've never gotten tired of it. I've never gotten it's like watching birth. You know, you never get tired of seeing a baby born. I don't think you know. I, I think you're on an interesting point, though. There is something distinctly different from the experience someone has when they encounter a piece of artwork and fall in love with it and decide to own it, that that's something they want in their life. But when there's another person involved who helps connect them to that piece, I think it rounds it out in a much deeper way and somehow that they are there to help them go further with their emotions or there to help them sometimes articulate how they feel about a piece. In some way, I think it does become more complete. For me, for me, it is and always has been about the connection I'm making with somebody. I, I, I don't believe in closing a sale, for, for example. And you read the books. I've read all the books. You know, I've, I've always been into that. Uh, but for me, I, I, I believe not in closing sales. I believe in opening sales. It's my, it's what I, it, I, it's what I try to teach by example and and in my discussions with staff. I really do feel, and I try to help people to look at it this way. If somebody walks into the gallery, you know, you go so many places, you feel like they're looking at your shoes or the cut of your clothes or whatever. You know, how much money do you have? Am I going to spend time? Am I, is this guy or lady worth the effort? Uh, oh, my God, this up was is a, a loss for me. Um, and I probably have, in, in many people's minds, I have wasted thousands of hours over my career because I I, I just wanted to make a friend. I mean, and, and it sounds corny, sounds like, oh, yeah, well, you, that's your that's your rap, Hartley. But it really is who I am. And and I suppose in some ways it's the greediest of all because I just don't, I don't only want to make a sale and, and have them share a work of art from us, but I want to be able to do it the rest of their in my life. I want to have a client forever. Uh, but I'm not really... I, you know, the way I look at that is not, I want to get the deal from you forever. It's really like, man, I just, it's great to have someone trust you. And- Knowing you, I wanted to make that distinction too. I mean, I know you very well in that one regard. 
you're not talking about this in the way that you'll hear sometimes car salesmen say, you know, make a customer forever. That isn't it. You're, you're, you're talking about an experience for yourself. Art provides such a beautiful backdrop for that. It really does. I don't know. Maybe I could have sold boats. <laughs> I don't know. I, so that that's my thing. Is I I want to the people are what's important. The arts, what they're personal. I want to feel like if I've talked with somebody, no matter whether they buy from me or not, there are any place in the world that they're going to call up Jim and say, Jim, I'm thinking about getting X Y Z. What do you think? And and I would give them my honest opinion at that point. I wouldn't try to. I oh, don't buy that because so I want to sell you this other thing. I would give them my honest opinion. And, and, you know, if, if you, I, I try to teach my people, said, you know, you really, you really need to try to be the person I'm talking about. And if you're not, try it for a while and maybe you'll become that person. But when you approach someone, approach them like they're going to be a friend of yours forever. And you know, you're, it's going to show. And not only that, is you're going to be so far more comfortable and you're going to feel so much better about yourself. I mean, it's a lot easier of a way to go. And even on a practical level, you can't think of this person who you want to be when that perfect customer comes in the front door and then be that person in that moment. You have to either choose to be that all the time and engage the entire world that way, no matter what time they come in or you know what they want to talk about. Or not do it at all, because it's just not a switch. You can just go on and off. And if you do switch on and off, whoever that person is who comes in, they're going to sense that it's a it's a put on. And you know where the rubber meets the road, Danny, is that when things aren't going well, when you're not making sales or your gallery is mm-hmm. not making sales and the bills are coming in and you need deals and the tendency to take shortcuts or become this hard selling, hard closing person. Um, I've done it 34 years. I've never gotten, you know, we've had, like any business, we've gone through, you know, various ups and downs in the markets and, you know, internet busts and bubble bubble bursts and, you know, 2008 and all these things that we've all been through it. Uh, I, I have a four-letter word is my solution to that, and that's a word called work. Mm-hmm. But the work doesn't, for me at least, it doesn't go over into how I talk to people or deal with people. But I'm, I'll probably get more focused at calling up people that I know and, and try to get a little more organized about that. And, but talking to friends, you know, you're talking to a friend. If you, don't, if you don't feel in your heart that you're talking to a friend when you're talking to somebody or somebody you want to be your friend or you want to talk to them in a way that they'll want to be your friend, Mm-hmm. Then you're making a mistake, I think. You know, you know, sales. <laughs> it's not something you do to people. <laughs> you don't. You don't do it to people. You know, you do it with them. <laughs> That's not just a catchphrase. You're, you're right. It isn't an act you do on somebody, and it's they have to be at some point be in concert with you, and you can only get so far when you are doing it that way, doing it to them. Uh, you know, they will eventually. That breaks down. It's not exactly a Duveen thing. You know, Duveen, of course, did it in a very ostentatious manner. You, you know, the art dealer, Duveen. You, mm-hmm. Have you ever read his book? Got his book right uh, there on the okay. bookshelf. <laughs> yeah. If you boil it down, he's the guy that figured out that uh, at a time, 
you know, that that England or Europe had art and America had money, you know, the robber barons, not robber barons, but all the industrialists and Morgan Ford and all these guys were, were you know, huge money. One of my funniest stories I ever read was in that book where, do you remember the one where he goes to Henry Ford trying to sell him all oh, these sure, yeah. sculptures and statues and artworks and all these famous things? And he puts meticulously puts together this booklet that has pictures of everything that he's offering and all the background and stories. And he's going to make this huge sale to Henry Ford. <laughs> Ford was pretty well known to be one of the cheapest guys around. When at the end, you know, he goes back, he, he follows up with him a couple of times. He goes in there and and Ford just thanked him for the book. He said, I don't really need to buy him now. I got all these pretty pictures in this book you gave me. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> crack up. In the end, in the end, if you want to have a career, you can't be fake. And that goes for any career. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. If you want to be happy in life, you can't be fake. Let's just put it that way. No matter what you're doing. You, yeah. Well, it's also exhausting. I go to a lot of galleries. I know a lot of different ways that this is done. And there is a thing that I observe every now and then. You'll sometimes see art dealers who are doing very well. You know, they're they're succeeding at being fake. You know, they're yeah. but it's a grind. It's really hard work. And I watch it and I go, that comes apart at some point. You can't sustain that. And you certainly can't sustain it when you're trying to do a second sale with that person. And either. you know what else you can't do with that is you can't grow. Mm-hmm. You can only take that so far. Well, you, 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 what you learn is by being that way, you get sales. And so that self-fulfilling or self-perpetuating, uh, uh, perhaps. But you're going you're to be limited. Mm-hmm. What can I talk somebody into? You know, what can I do my little shuck and jive and, you know, get someone to jump through this hoop and I'll go home. Hey, you know what I did to him, boy? I saw him coming, man. Yeah. I could tell by the fourth word, I knew exactly how I was going to handle it. Have you ever had an art dealer like that working for you in your gallery, but you were able to change their way of seeing things? Yeah, one. One in particular comes to mind. Please don't tell me it's me. Uh, no. <laughs> I was kidding. No, no. I'm thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I couldn't teach you anything. <laughs> we ha- we did well. We did have this fellow named Michael, and we we see him from time to time now. He's and he's gone in life, gone on in life since our gallery and done well. He was an, uh, he was a black English fellow. Uh, he came over on some kind of special reciprocation deal between U.S. and America, where he could only work for a period of time, maybe a year, maybe nine months. He and he was very young. Certainly early 20s. Handsome guy, great personality, kind of but kind of guy you liked right away. But his experience before us is he worked for an art selling phone room in the UK. And so it was one of the old school boiler get rooms. Get him on boiler room. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Get him on the phone. And it's artist you know, investment, isn't tell it? Tell him what you gotta tell him to get the deal. Uh-huh. <laughs> get on to the next one. So, and and that was kind of his style in our gallery too. And we obviously kept trying to talk to him because he's such a good guy. But when he got on that deal, you know, that's what he knew and that he was going to just you know, mercilessly track you to get the deal. <laughs> and and so some of the things I just said here, you know, I would talk to him, Michael, you got to make a friend, man. Don't make a sale, make a friend. It was like, wait, that was wasting time, you know, got to get on to the next deal. But over time, he, you know, he started to get it. And when he all the way got it. He really was doing very well, quite well. Well, you know, I've met him. 
I, I know who you're talking okay. about. Okay. Well, he he uh, he paid me one of the greatest compliments of my life. Uh, you know, he looked at me and and Theron. And he said, "You know, you guys taught me to make a friend, not a sale." And he says, "That's carried that with me the, my entire life." Now he said it was life changing, and so it's so beautiful to hear that from somebody. I dare say that it, you know, probably if I was more money driven, maybe we would have made a lot more of it. But I, I have no. It, it, had I done the things that that maybe it would have taken to do that, you know, I'm not sure I'd be very proud of myself. So it, it's not. I, I, I really, I'm, I'm, an, I really don't have any regrets. And a lot of people tell you that, and nobody wants to feel like they've have regrets, but I don't. I know. I'm sorry. I brought it to an abrupt ending. Let me tell you a little something. As you might have noticed, the introduction to this show is a little bit, well, I'm not going to say longer than normal. I do a lot of long introductions, but the interview is a little bit shorter than normal. And it's for two reasons. One, we have a second part that we're going to get into with Jim. The other reason is when I do this, I always look for a part in the middle where I can make a perfect cut as close as I can to the middle of the conversation where it's not weird to end it and it's not weird to start the second half. Unfortunately, it didn't work so smoothly in this. For the second half to make sense, I had to cut it a little bit short on the first half. I hope you understand. But the second half, it's a whole different universe. It'll come out in a few weeks. It's going to be about his experience in rock and roll, his recent experiences of working with some of the biggest sales and estates in rock and roll art history. It's going to be about how he just found his way becoming the first and only real art dealer ever to handle the art of one of the most famous American illustrators, Alberto Vargas. His work with Playboy magazine and the Vargas estate. And it's going to be filled with a considerable amount of wisdom along the way about doing all of that. But even though we're not done, I want to thank Jim. I want to thank him for his time, and I want to thank him for everything that he's done for me, for that matter. I also want to thank you. I want to thank you for the folks that continue to listen to the show, continue to spread the word. And uh, if you want to help out, if you want to be a friend to this show, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, don't need any money. I, uh, I, I don't, you know, it be nice if you leave a review in iTunes or whatever, but that's not the most important thing in the world. What would really help out is if you participated in about the only marketing plan we have for this show, you telling other people about the show. You have some other art dealers in the gallery that you work with, tell them you're listening to the show. You have another art gallery owner that you know, that's a friend, another broker, whoever it is, a collector, other artists who might take interest into it. Anybody who's interested in the art business, if you like the show, please let them know about it. So until the next time we get together here at the old art dealer bar, I like to wish for you that all the coconuts fall at your feet. Good night, my art dealers. Good night. This has been The Art Dealer Show. You can find out more about The Art Dealer Show at artdealer.show. You can also look us up at all the popular social media spots under the same handle of, you guessed it, Art Dealer Show.